The Australian Open starts on January 14 and to talk all about the event, tennis and a great night that's coming up with former NBA star Jason Collins, we caught up earlier this week with sports presenter, commentator, writer and tennis tragic Nick McCarvel. So Nick, you're here in town for the Australian Open. What brings you to working at the Australian Open, being at the Australian Open? Tell us the Nick story. The next story is that I was obsessed with tennis when I was a little kid growing up in Montana in the United States, the beautiful Rocky Mountains. And I don't, it's not a tennis state whatsoever, but it it just was my sport as a kid. And somehow, you guys, I I made my way to the Australian Open. Do I have to connect the dots further? Who was your your favorite tennis player when you were? Oh, I loved Monica Seles. She was like my absolute favorite, and then Gustavo Kirten was a close second. He was the Brazilian. You know, I went to my um, grade two dress up day as Steffi Graf. Did you? Yeah. Okay. And what uh, what accessories did that include? I wore a tennis skirt and (laughs) a white t shirt, and then I had because it was 1987. I had my hair in a side pony with a spiked up fringe. Wow. I feel like that's what led Steffi Graf next year. She won the Golden Slam, all four majors, and I Olympic mean, gold. Now, you always... know Nick's a journal when he starts turning the interview, uh, interviewing <laughs> yeah, you, and you're, right. you've got no harm in not shutting that down. Can I also tell you what I had <laughs> at that stage in my life? I made my mum sew me, out of material, a Pat Cash checked headband. Oh, so good. And I used to sit in front of the telly, I'm such a loser, and in zinc cream, I wrote Pat Cash on my legs, oh, and nice. I used to sit in front of the telly with my headband cheering for Pat Cash. Which led Pat Cash to his 1988 Wimbledon title. So, yeah. so Basically, by two leading athletes. I mean, inspiration. Nick, no Americans in your favourites. Why is that? Oh yeah, I I, I loved uh, Andre Agassi. Of course, he was a close second, and then so did Steffi, as it turns out. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> uh, at that point, at least. Um, and Jennifer Capriati was one of my favourites too as yeah. a kid. I, I think actually watching the AO when I was like a teenager, um, it was like middle of the night in the United States, and at that point, I knew that I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a written journalist, and I had this dream of going to tennis tournaments and seeing stories that no one else saw, and I don't necessarily think I'd do that per se, but this is my seventh Australian Open, and I love skipping New York January for Melbourne January. It's a good trade out. What's the difference between the Australian Open and the other Grand Slams? Because we don't know anything different, because we only know We just assume it's the best one, but... Do you? Mm. Even better than Wimbledon? Well, we're a bit biased. We've got a rivalry with the English, so what's different about the Australian Open? Well, for a long time, actually, if we're talking about the 80s, when we were all young children, Mm. um, it was really the fourth, it was the Forgotten Slam. I mean, it was played in December, January. A lot of the top players didn't come down and play it, but it's sort of taken this place in the calendar now that it's the beginning of the season. People call it the Happy Slam, and they've really done an incredible job of globalizing it. It's part of the Asia-Pacific region, obviously, and so it's really become, with Lee Na winning it a few years ago, uh, you know, the Chinese fans really took to it too, and it's just the part of the season for us as journalists where the players are actually happy to see us. And there's <laughs> a, lot a, of, uh, a lot of opportunity for photos with koalas. Totally. That happens with every yes. athlete that Doesn't comes it? to Australia. Doesn't it? Every single athlete that comes Kangaroos. to Australia, they have to hold a koala. Okay, last week in Brisbane, we had a, a, a kinda. We had a rat kangaroo. I'm blanking on what you call it. Is it a wallaby? Yeah, no, wallaby. it wasn't a wallaby. No, no something else. We had oh. a kinda, a rat kangaroo. Um, a rat kangaroo. <laughs> no, it has an actual name. I'll yeah. find it for you. Um, but one of the top players, a python. She hold, 
Did she hold a python, some sort of snake? Yeah, we've got a lot of deadly yeah. animals here. <laughs> so Aussie Open coming up in what? Less than two weeks. Uh, less than a week away. Less than a week, less than a week away. God, yeah, time flies when you're having yeah. fun. What are you most looking forward to? Who are you looking forward to, forward to seeing? I mean, I think the big story on the women's side is Serena Williams coming back uh, fully. I mean, she was back last year midway through, but she's fully fit. She had a great week at Hotman Cup. Um, she's looked really good in general. I think that she's going to... She was really close at Wimbledon in the U.S. Open to almost winning both of those. We won't get into detail of the mm. U.S. Open, but <laughs> um, okay, she, <laughs> as, as a mom, to win another slam, she's going for number 24, which would equal Margaret Court's record all time, which would be great for Serena to tie that record and eventually pass that record. Um, and then on the men's side, I mean, Roger Federer continues to astound Rafael Nadal's coming in with injury question marks. Novak Djokovic is back. Annie Murray's back, but not necessarily fully fit. So there's always great storylines um, to watch coming into the AO. A lot of the Aussie players are in the news for a whole lot of the <laughs> wrong reasons, especially on the men's side. Mm. How do you find the Aussie chances and how do you find the Aussie tennis players in general as well? Uh, I mean, it's interesting for me as an American to go when you go to the different slams to Wimbledon, the French and the Australian Open, because the media will will so much cover the local stars. And, you know, someone like Sam Stoser, she's not going to have a shot at winning the Australian Open this year. She she just I don't think she would tell you she's coming into mm. the tournament mm. expecting to win. But there's that media attention that, that goes with it. And, you know, for the boys, uh, Nick Kyrgios continues to grow up in front of our I think that he's struggled in a sense to figure out who he is internally and then that um, sort of realizes itself externally but you've got guys like Alex Dimonor who's had an mm. incredible last season he's inside the top 40 who's outside the top 200 last year um, and girls like Ash Barty who's now inside the top 20 who plays awesome fun cool tennis to watch and so there's there's kind of that push pull I think but it's just funny to me as an outsider to watch the local national media sort of pounce on these storylines when the tennis is big for we, the moment yeah we love our sport here and if they're doing really really well we cover them so much and we've got posters in our newspapers but when they're going so badly they find themselves on nearly every tv show radio show that we've got yeah seriously i i mean it's it's funny too to see some of the storylines develop like from afar when something happens at wimbledon you know nick Kyrgios has had run-ins essentially at at the u.s open at at wimbledon at other big events and to sort of watch it on twitter develop uh from afar in australia um yeah you guys you guys love a headline yeah we're happy to eat our own too <laughs> yeah yeah we yes. are yeah, yeah yeah totally well and i think that you know you have the spotlight you're playing at your home slam mm. all this pressure money spotlight uh, you know hope fame whatever and plus the media is sort of breathing down your back we're chatting with sports journal nick mccarvel now we've got a bit of a like a history on this show that we like to put pressure on our guests and actually ask for a tip on who to win. So do you have a tip on both sides of the draw, the men's and the women's? It's funny because I actually haven't thought about who I think is going to win the AO. Um, And my tradition is when I give an answer, I 
can't go back on it. So can you tell that I'm stalling right now? Yeah, because you, you have a, a name to play, yeah, Nick. Yeah. You have a name to play. <laughs> okay, I think Angie Kerber on the women's side. She won here in 2016. She's looked in fine form. Nice. Uh, she almost won the Hotman Cup uh, last week um, with Sasha Zverev. And on the men's side, I, I, this is a little boring to tennis fans, right, but yeah. Novak Djokovic. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes. he's he's Wimbledon champ. He's U.S. Open champ. He's world number one. He is back with a vengeance. Mm. I think Ash Barty for the women's. Oh, really? Going yeah. the Are you from? Australia? media as it is, yes. <laughs> anyway, you're in town for something else as well, Nick. Um, you are getting a chance to sit down with former NBA star Jason Collins this Friday night. Um, apart from him being a great uh, defensive centre with a you know career panning over a decade, Nick, um, J- Jason came out as gay in 2013. Can you tell us a little bit more about his story? Yeah, I mean, Jason has an incredible story. Um, he came out in 2013 uh, at, towards the end of his career in the NBA, and he was the first um, openly gay, gay male athlete in what we call the big four sports in the U.S. So that'd be baseball, hockey, football, and basketball. And as a trailblazer, in a sense, because of that, uh, he's someone that has sort of faced that um, that stardom as a, a, an openly gay male athlete um, with a plum. I mean, just the way that he, he told his story. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and then the next year was named to Time Time Magazine's um, one of the most admirable people of 2014. Well, I was going to say, it was that very public coming out in Sports Illustrated. What was the reaction at the time to it being so public? I think it was really good. I mean, I, I at that point I was working for the Daily Beast for a news website in the U.S. and I wrote about it. And I think in general, I mean, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and it was one of those coming outs, and we can talk about this a little bit, is it was so public, right? And it was such a headline driver. And I think he felt like he had to do that because, you know, this is five years ago. You had to break news or come out in that sense. Um, I think he generally found it really positive. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if, you know, on Friday we'll talk about this in, in the event, but what was the reaction and what were the fears, but also how self-assured did he have to be? I mean, as mm. you mentioned, mm. Davey, was, he was in the uh, NBA for over 10 years at that point. He was in his mid-30s. He had gone to college, Stanford kid, obviously well-educated, you know, a very confident guy, but he had to have so much self-assurance that no matter what, when he came out and Gus Kenworthy and Adam Rapon have talked about this a lot it, it, this year at the Olympics is being having that sort of self-assurance to do it because you're going to be in such a public light. There's some sports that are a little bit more, you know, opening and welcoming to gay athletes. How did how was basketball in that respect? How was the sport of basketball? I think it was. I think it was. A, a, he. I think he would tell you it was a mix. Uh, you know, in the sense of, I'm sure that there was some. You know, mixed reaction in the locker room, and you know those those sports in the U.S. and I think here with the NRL and AFL, I think it continues to be sports that are driven by this sort of macho bravado, mm. very masculine sense of being. Right, that is being a man, is being as manly as we sort of define it. Um, traditionally, and uh, you know, I think for him figuring out that he could have a coming out and that it didn't matter what the reaction was, but generally in the press, it, it was a, a really good reaction. And I'm sure he obviously had his own personal motivations for doing it, which I'm sure you'll talk about with him on Friday, but. Do you think it's also a motivating factor that it's important for the LGBTI community to see these sports stars coming out publicly as well? 
Yeah, that's kind of the whole sort of um, reason that we've even started this series in tennis is because there hasn't been an openly gay current male player to come out. And there's not necessarily the ask for someone to. That's not what we are saying or doing in having these conversations, but more giving people the opportunity to tell their stories and to continue the conversation. And so for him, you know, making that step and sort of being that person to say, this is me and you can look up to me if you're a kid in Cleveland that's mm-hmm. nine years old or, or if you're, you know, someone that is part of the community already and identifies as such already. I'm actually working right now on an article about a lesbian figure skater and she's the first openly gay female in figure skating because we know figure skating obviously has plenty of gay male mm-hmm. athletes and a few that have chosen to come out, but not very many women and for her to come out she's she identifies as bisexual and she has said that the she's not even a top level athlete in the u.s she'll compete at nationals later this month but she said the response from within the community of younger girls that said i didn't know that there was someone like me Mm. out there and that's a really interesting point because i think often when gay male athletes come out, they're fighting against those masculine kind of ideals in sport. And I would think for her, she's probably fighting against the feminist, uh, feminine ideals of figure skating being being the same issue. Yeah, that's the piece I'm working on. Uh, She's an ice dancer. And, uh, you know, because figure figure skating is a judge sport too, right? So you have to to make sure that you have a a good showing, a good relationship with the judges too. It's funny, uh, you know, the, the fact that these sort of ideas of what a man and a woman should be, they still persist. And I think in different ways, maybe in Australia and the US and around the world, but in general that, you know, masculinity is so much the focus in the sporting world. And, and tennis, I think, is a, a victim in a sense of that too. With with athletes coming out uh, publicly, what role does the media have? Because that can be quite a, a positive impact and it could also be quite a negative impact as well. Yeah, I think that's probably the scariest piece, right? Yeah, yeah. Is what's the reaction? You know, I struggled a little bit answering your question in the sense of what was what was the reaction to Jason Collins coming out away from the media in the NBA? I don't really know. Yeah. And, and you know, I, th- I think that he would probably share choice choice sort of uh, instances of what did and didn't happen. But, you know, the media's role is it's still going to be a moment, but I think it's up to the athlete to figure out what kind of moment they want it to be. If an athlete chooses to post a a photo with a a partner, a boyfriend, say for a male on their Instagram, and there's no great press release or, you know, I am gay on the cover of Sports Illustrated, then great. That's that's your choice. But there still is that power of the media. And I think that's what Brian Vahaley, who is a former tennis player who came out just a couple years ago, he did our event before the U.S. Open. That's what he really has stressed is that it's so hard to be that one person with that rainbow essentially on your back and on your forehead. The Australian Open starts next week and in anticipation, here is part two of our conversation with sports journo and tennis tragic Nick McCarvel. Well, you did a similar event to what you're doing yeah. on Friday night with Brian and our own Casey Delacqua, who we just Love adore. Case. She's amazing. Um, what was that night like and what was the reaction to that? You guys, I was really stressed <laughs> because I, I had been talking with some friends, um, including Matt Chalope, who's a Melbourneian and he works in tennis. Um, we've been talking for a while about doing something 
And we finally came up with this event uh, before the U.S. Open. And initially, uh, we were going to have Renee Stubbs be a part of it, and she couldn't because of her commentary um, with ESPN. And so I reached out to Brian, and I was a little nervous back because I, I he had been he had done a Sports Illustrated podcast to come out, and that had been a year prior, but he hadn't really done anything after that. And so when he agreed to do it, I was like, okay, this is awesome. We're going to do this. And it was, it was really cool. They were both so well-spoken. I got, I roped Casey in last minute. She, she came, she was doing work for Tennis Australia in New York. Um, we had over 200 people there. There was a line outside the door. We had tennis drag queens. They did <gasps> like a, we, they did a Queens on the street where they talked to people about their favorite tennis stars, um, Monica Seles included and Steffi, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but, it, but it it was kind of this all encompassing and you know we really brian and i talked a lot about what did we want the night to be and it was just brian sharing a lot of his story i talked a little bit about being an openly gay journalist in the sporting world not that i necessarily work in those big four or the nrl the afl but sort of fighting some of those norms and um yeah we had tennis bingo and it was it was a really good time. We had some Martini Navratilova special oh, drinks as well. Brilliant, delicious, great, great names. <laughs> you mentioned Brian what he what he wanted to get out of the night. What did he want to get out of the night? So he was uh, Brian's um, super successful now as a businessman in DC, and he has a partner, and they have two little boys, and um, I think they're maybe two terrible two there's a lot of instagram stories of them crying so i think they're about two-ish that seems scary oh it could be anywhere between two and 25 (laughs) um but he said basically that you know he had retired in 2007 i think and um he said once that he and his partner bill had kids that he realized that he needed to take more of a sort of forward face of, and that's what we were just talking about is what can an athlete give to other people? And I think he realized that he could give more. And what's sort of even more powerful is that Brian's on the USTA board of directors, which is a pretty powerful position in U.S. tennis. And I think not only externally, because we got great coverage from it just uh, um, because of the event, but I think it also started some corporate conversations in general mm. and those are I think as powerful as sort of the external media conversations yeah. too. Now we don't have any um, I guess out male tennis players professionally at the moment but are there um, professional tennis players who have been proud allies to the LGBTI community? Are there players on the tour that are open about their support of the community? I think that's actually you know the proudest thing right now that I could tell you about is the fact that these conversations that we've had the last few months have allowed for that to to be a part of a conversation. So Kevin Anderson's a Wimbledon finalist. He was runner-up at the U.S. Open a couple of years as well. Um, he he's been super supportive really outspoken um he's going to try to make it on friday night just to be a part of it james blake who's a former top five player in the world who's also a tournament director in miami so again the internal Mm. piece within the hierarchy he did a video for us talking about how to be more inclusive and how to encourage athletes to not only you know if you have a, a gay athlete who doesn't feel comfortable coming out fine but what james talked about in this video that he did for the new york event was 
um, how do we how do we educate athletes and how do we make the sport more inclusive no matter what mm-hmm. no matter if we have no out athletes or like on the mm-hmm. WTA in the women's game where we have a lot of women who have felt comfortable to share who they are making tennis more inclusion uh, inclusive is that been on the radar for a long time or is it just suddenly just started being a thing in the last three to five years I, I mean I, I would think you know you look at what um, Martina Navratilova and Billie Jean King did I, I think that really it's in a sense been the leader the leader in sport as far as um, as far as that conversation goes but um, uh, being a journalist on tour I, I haven't necessarily diversity and inclusion hasn't necessarily felt like it's been at the forefront and so that kind of felt like why we wanted this space to, to make this space available um, and, and you know for me we're partnering with Tennis Australia with the Australian Open they are a, a sponsor of this event um, on Friday which is really cool because the US Open event we did it at this bookstore um, that's part of a LGBT AIDS organization in New York it was really cool but it was very grassroots yeah. right it was like me and a few friends like let's throw an event and we should have drag queens yeah and, and my mum will make cakes yeah exactly yes we had tennis cookies how Brilliant. did you know but for this event with jason being a part of it with um tennis australia and then we're also partnering with stand-up events which does great work for um gender discrimination uh, including lgbt discrimination in sports um angie green who is frank sedgman's granddaughter she's a good friend of ours yeah and she now tell me her family is very afl AFL. her dad played for hawthorne yeah Yeah. and her brother played afl too so they're they're a very sporty family i love when you guys talk afl because I can I can just listen and learn <laughs> and not know anything. Just not and smile, not and smile. <laughs> We're chatting with sports journal Nick McCarvel. Speaking of AFL, we don't have any out male players in the AFL, but in the AFLW, which is our women's professional football team, there's many, many, many open women, openly gay women. Do you think that's something – is that something you see in tennis or other sports too, that it's more the women who have have come out publicly? Yeah, I mean, you look at the WNBA in the U.S. and and you've got leaders like Sue Bird who have, uh, you know, put themselves out there. And uh, it hasn't necessarily become the norm, but I think, as you're saying, with the the Women's AFL League, that, you know, the players have felt like they have this comfortable space Mm. to share who they are. And it was funny because Casey Delacqua is the most, like, relaxed, chilled person you've ever met. And at the New York event, we kept trying to pry her a little bit because Brian was like, listen, my coming out was really hard. It was hard for me. It was hard for my family. I got a lot of negative feedback on email, people saying that they you know, wanted to come to my house and take away my kids. I mean, just a lot of like very true, raw stuff. And uh, Casey was like, nah, it was good. <laughs> she was like, I don't, no one really asked me about it. And she just, and she put it in a way to say basically that no one really cares on the women's tour. Yeah, and yeah. I think she means that in a sense that not that it's assumed, it's not assumed, but you look at other players, Alison Van Oetfunk, Johanna Larson, Luke Sika Kumkum, they're all active players that uh, both of you are like, huh? Who? Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. Big but, to see what <laughs> she was acknowledging that. But they've felt in their own communities uh, in Belgium, in Sweden, in Thailand to share who they are because I, I think that the space has been allowed for them. I think mm. that's a nod to Billie Jean and to mm. Martina and the work that they were able to do. Uh, you know, you look at someone like Renee Stubbs, who who also has been open about who she is. But um, 
Yeah, I, I think they're that push pull a little bit. It's an interesting space to be in right now. And I, I think we were talking a little bit before we started recording that there are there are actively gay identifying men who are playing these top mm. sports. And none of us sitting here or any of you listening would you know, yell for them to come out right now. But uh, all you want is for them to feel more empowered by who they are. Is there more of a trend on the men's sport as well to if they do come out publicly, it's quite at the end of their careers, sort of towards the sort of post 30s instead of where women, we see a lot of active players in their mid 20s and at the sort of peak of their careers. Yeah, somewhat. I, I mean, there just haven't there haven't been like that many examples. Right. Adam Rapon had was he came out in 2015 and still then skated through to the Olympics. Um, I think his name's Colin Martin. He's an MLS player in the States, a soccer player, and he's actively, he plays in Minnesota. But yeah, like Robbie Rogers, um, you look at Gus Kenworthy, uh, Jason Collins, yeah, towards the end of their career. But I also think it's the maturation process too, right? I mean, Gus Kenworthy has talked a lot about finding his own voice and for a while he thought he was going to come out he was going to retire and then come out and then he realized well screw it it doesn't matter like I, I feel this is what I feel for me right now and so I'm I'm going to choose to come out You sit down with um, former NBA star Jason Collins this Friday how do you personally prepare for an event like this? Well, uh, a of all I should I need to Yeah right? okay <laughs> Well Jason's a pretty good friend um, he's a great tennis player he's seven feet tall so he has a pretty dang good serve Wow um, He's kicked my butt a few times in tennis um yeah i think uh, even this conversation sort of has me thinking in a different way of you know what's worthwhile to share with people um out there and i think jason for jason it's you know we're talking about how it empowered him but then how it empowered others when he did come out and so yeah looking back at when he came out what sort of what was what were the challenges for him and then also the um the ripple effect and how that that played a positive role and i think um you know obviously then for us in the lead up to the australian open the way that we've partnered um with ta then sort of tying it back to tennis too yeah sure and if people wanted to come and listen to the conversation with jason collins how do they get involved how do they get tickets yeah, no, they absolutely can. Um, so we've partnered with stand-up events. As I said, you can go to their website. Um, there's an Eventbrite. Uh, there's an Eventbrite link for the event itself, um, and it's going to be a great time. It's um, at the rooftop bar um, at the Osborne um, in Pran. In, yeah, I think it's in South Yarra, Pran, similar suburbs on the border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Thanks for that geography check. It's nice. It's fancy. You'll like it. Yeah, you'll like it. It's pretty new, right? Yeah, you'll like it. Okay. It's I haven't a, been there. It's, so. in a, it's in a very rainbow pocket here yes, in Melbourne as well. So it it's is. a really great spot. I think I've been to that rainbow pocket before, but not necessarily <laughs> there. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Nick. We hope the event on Friday is wonderful. You enjoy the rest of your time in Australia. That was Nick McCarville talking all things tennis and his upcoming event this Friday with NBA star Jason Collins. You're listening to The Bench on Joy.